Open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. It's been so fun working our way through these passages. Next Sunday, I am preaching in Tulsa, Oklahoma, doing a Y Baptist conference there with Dalton Robertson, and I'll be there Sunday through Wednesday. And it's interesting, Laura decided that this is a trip that she thought that she should go on. It's, it's going to be really fun for her. She's going to be with us at Tulsa Baptist Temple on Sunday. Then she's going to spend the rest of the week with her family. But uh, we were trying to figure out the last time that she was there. Eight years. It's been eight years since she's been home. So I'm glad that she gets to do that. And uh, so pray for us. We have a special guest next week. Brandon Blackford is going to be preaching for us Sunday morning and Sunday night. He's going to do my Sunday school class Sunday morning and Sunday night. And so I know that you all will really enjoy hearing him. One of the things that is such a blessing, you know, I got to spend quite a bit of time with Brett Bartlett uh, a week before last when he did man camp and then preached for us on Sunday. And they have an evangelism uh, ministry, they call it Phalanx. And it had started with an idea that that Brett had gotten from another preacher years before. And Brandon Blackford has taken it and made it explode. And his ability in ministry and his ability, his desire to serve God, he and Emily, what a blessing it is. So one of our teenagers, it's, it's great. And I, I just want to say this. I'm thankful for Jeff and Sue Blackford. How many families have four boys and all of them serving God? So I'm not sure about Jeff, but Sue is amazing. <laughs> Isn't that a blessing? And so Brandon is going to be preaching for us next week. So be in your place, be in prayer for him, and I know that he'll have some really great things for us. Look at Psalm 119, verse 57, verse 57. My message this morning is, the Lord, my portion, the Lord, my portion. Now, don't forget that Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It has 176 verses, all but two deal with the Bible. It's all talking about the scriptures. It is also divided into 22 sections, all based on the Hebrew alphabet, and each of those sections has eight verses. And I am limiting myself in my preaching time to making sure I get through eight verses in a service, which honestly was a terrible idea because I can't say nearly the things I want to about the text. So we're going to have a great time with this passage. Look what it says. In verse 57, we're going to read the whole section. Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. Now, is that word or words? Oh, by the way, look on the back of your bulletin. Everybody get your bulletin out. Look on the back of it. Everybody should have one. So remember, we've gone through the 10 words that are repeated over and over again through Psalm 119. So I don't have to define these words every time we find them in the text. We printed them for you. That'll be on the back of your bulletin every week. So you're going to see words. So there are two of the ten. Word and words. Word is the entire word. Words are the individual words. How many of you already knew that? But the specific way that it's used in the text is really important. And we're going to see many of these ten words in these eight verses. So... 
Back to verse 57. Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. The bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten thy law. At midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of thy mercy. Teach me thy statutes. In verse 57, I want you to notice something. Thou art my portion, O Lord. So here we are. We are probably a third of the way through Psalm 119. And it's like the psalmist just realized that God is his. God is his. How many of you, the Lord is your Lord? He's your Lord. He's my king. He's my savior. This is, he is my personal savior. He is not my servant. I am his. He is my God. And I am his. Remember, that's what happens in the book of Zechariah when Israel, they finally turn to him. They say, you are our Lord. And he says, you are my people. And then everything is reconciled. And what God has done is through the blood of Jesus Christ and through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he has reconciled us to himself. So now, not only am I his, but he is my God. Now, how many of you know that our God is better than every other God? As a matter of fact, there is no God other than the one true God. And David, it seems like it has overwhelmed him that he realized that God is his. And I made this note, there is no possession like Jehovah himself. What is your most valuable possession? Where is God in the hierarchy of your possessions? Now notice what it says, verse 57 again, Thou art my portion, O Lord. Notice what happens when he realized that. I have said that I would keep thy words. I have said that I would keep thy words. So notice, David is remembering what he has said in the past. Look, look at the way it reads. I have said. This is something that he had said in the past. So when he realizes that God is his, when he realizes that everything he has is from God, and now I want you to think about something. How many of you think David was rich? Yeah, yeah, he would have been one of the richest men in the world at that point. And yet, he said, the Lord is my portion. The, Lord, the most valuable thing that I have is God. And of course, we know, we've quoted this verse several times recently, that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Everything I have is from God. When I realize everything I have is from God, do you know what that does? It causes me to remember what I have vowed to him in the past. How many of you have ever made a commitment to God? Hold, hold your hands up. If you have made a commitment to God. So now here's my question. Have you kept it? What you have committed to God. Have you kept that commitment? You might have said, I'm going to read my Bible. You might have said, God, I'm going to do everything I can to share the gospel with others. How many of you have made one of those two commitments? How are you doing? Are you keeping those vows? And it's interesting, when we focus on God and we realize everything that he has done for us, we have to give to him. We have to worship. But when I remember him, it causes me to remember what I have committed. 
it might be that you've committed to be faithful in giving. You made a vow. I'm going to honor the Lord with my finances. How many of you want God to bless you? Well, if you've committed to honor the Lord in your finances, have you remembered that commitment? What about you may have committed to the Lord that you're going to love your wife better? How are you doing? You may have committed to love your husband better. How are you doing? What I hope is happening in you right now is God is reminding you of the vows and the commitments that you have made to him, not out of guilt, but out of love, out of recognizing the treasure that we have that is him. How many of you know that God's a treasure? And when we know him, when we focus on him, then the cares of the world start to fall away. When we focus on our cares, God gets smaller. When we focus on God, our cares get smaller. And those things that we have vowed to him where we say, God, I don't know if I can keep that commitment. When all of a sudden, all of our other distractions get smaller as we focus on him, we say, well, maybe I can do that. Maybe I can keep that commitment. David's commitment in verse 57 was, I have said that I would keep thy words. He is restating his former vow. His love for God as his portion led to his remembering and recommitting to God's words. It's interesting. When I actually know who God is, and I have full assurance of who he is, let's look at Colossians. Keep your place here in Psalm 119. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 1, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So what, what great conflict does he have? That their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love. Now that knit together... You might want to mark that in your Bible or make note of it because we're going to reference that again in a few minutes. So that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's our portion. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I don't know about you guys. Now, you young people, as you begin making more and more decisions in life, you're going to understand the need for wisdom. Right now, you're relying on your parents' wisdom. And they protect you by, by not allowing you into situations that you're not prepared for yet. But as you get older, you're going to need that wisdom. And I guarantee you there are adults in this room right now that were begging for God's wisdom about a situation just this week. And what we need to understand is that portion that we have from God, that portion, what we have, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All of it. However much you need, that's how much is there. And more. How awesome is that? All of it. You see, when I understand that's what I have, and I understand where he has placed it. Where did God store 
that wisdom and knowledge. Right here. So when I understand that's my portion, then I love these words and I will keep them. I'm not going to let anybody take them. I'm not going to let even one of them drop to the ground is what the Bible says. Because I believe every one of them. Because this is the treasure of wisdom that I desperately need. But here's what happens when I have full assurance of that. Like it says in Colossians 2. When I know God is my portion and I'm fully assured of it, do you know what happens? I realize I can be holy. That holiness that seems so far away when I'm focused on the world and I'm focused on the problems and I'm focused on failings, when I focus on Him and I have that full assurance that He is not only the God of the universe, but He's my God, now holiness becomes possible. Listen to what Spurgeon wrote. He has... He has entreated favor. Oh, wait a minute. Full assurance is a... That was under a different verse, and I was thinking, that's the wrong quote. All right. Full assurance is a powerful source of holiness. The very words of God are to be stored up, for whether they relate to doctrine, promise, or precept, they are most precious. When the heart is determined to keep these words and has registered its purpose in the court of heaven. So my purpose that I've registered in heaven is I'm going to keep them. It is prepared for all the temptations and trials that may befall it. For with God as its heritage, it is always in good case. When I realize that I have that treasure and I have committed to keep it, now the source of my holiness is real to me. The source of my holiness, the source of my righteousness is not me. It's Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And that full assurance changes everything. So, back to verse 57. Go back to Psalm 119. Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. Now, look at verse 58. I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. His knowledge of God as his portion led to love for his words and love for, listen, love for his words and love for his presence. See, when you love somebody, you want to be with them. When you love someone, you want to be with them. When you understand who God is, that he is yours, not only do you desire and long to keep his words, but you long not only for God's word, but you long for God. And you entreat him. You pray to him. You are, you are gathered to his throne. His knowledge of the love of God as his portion led to love for his words and love for his presence. And then, folks, we need to understand something. Please don't miss this. The presence of God is the highest form of God's favor. Remember when the children of Israel were, God was just frustrated with them. He was angry with them. And now I know I use the word frustrate. Frustrate is when you expect something. God knew knew they weren't going to do it. But as part of this, what God said to Moses was, 
I'm going to send you into the land. I'm going to send the people into the land. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and send you the cloud and the fire. I'm going to send you there, but I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going to go with you. And Moses said he'd rather die than that. Why? Because the gifts of God without the presence of God is the curse of God. The gifts of God without the presence of God is the curse of God. How many of you know that the United States has been cursed with blessing? We don't need anything. We have need of nothing. That's Laodicea. Remember Colossians chapter 2? It's addressed to Colossae and to Laodicea. And what does he say to the church at Laodicea? Because they are, thou art increased with goods and have need of nothing, but knowest not that thou art wretched and poor and miserable and blind and naked. See, the, the gifts of God without the presence of God. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's outside of the church. He's saying, let me in. And we have a prosperous nation and we have prosperous churches without the presence of God. But the saddest thing is we have prosperous homes without the presence of God. And recognizing that God is my portion and I have his words and I have that full assurance of the treasures of the knowledge and wisdom, that mystery of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. When I recognize that, now I go to him and I entreat his presence. God, please be with me. But notice the two things that he prays for. Verse 57, I entreated thy favor with my, what's it say? Everyone, we're in verse, I'm sorry, we're in verse 58. Everyone, I entreated thy favor with what? Say it again. When's the last time you entreated God's favor with your whole heart? See, I don't know about you guys, but my heart is so divided. Even in prayer time, I'm thinking about ministry, or I'm thinking about my truck, or I'm thinking about golf, or I'm thinking about food. Or I'm thinking about my next pair of shoes. What is that? It's a divided heart. I'm thinking about my children. I'm thinking about my wife. I'm thinking about... Children, wife, and shoes are not bad things. But when I'm supposed to be focused on God, they are. So notice the two things he prays for when he entreats God with his whole heart. Verse 58, middle of the verse. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. His prayer is twofold. It's a prayer for mercy and it's a prayer for God to honor his word. It is a prayer for mercy and it is a prayer for God to honor his word. Now, what happens when we recognize who God is? Again, here is Spurgeon. He has entreated favor, and the form in which he most needs it is that of mercy. This is such a great statement. For he is more a sinner than anything else. How many of you know that you're more of a sinner than anything else? In me that is in my flesh there dwelleth no good thing. I'm a sinner. I need to entreat God for mercy. See, we cry out for mercy at salvation, but you know that we need daily mercy? And isn't it good that the Bible says his mercies are new? How often? Every morning. Praise God for that. 
And it says, he, he has entreated favor, and the form in which he needs it most is that of mercy, for he is more a sinner than anything else. He asks nothing beyond the promise. He only begs for such mercy as the word reveals. And what more could he want or wish for? Now, you got to listen to this. This is so good. God has revealed such an infinity of mercy in his word that it would be impossible to conceive of more. Now, remember, we talk about, remember the tabernacle? And the tabernacle, they had the outer court and they had that, the, 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 the brazen altar where they would do the sacrifice and offer the sacrifice. But there, and each of these implements they had, God gave specific dimensions and, and measurements for. But there was this laver. It's where they would wash. It's where they would do their ceremonial cleansing. And there were no dimensions for that. None given. Why? Because it's limitless. The amount of mercy that's available to the world is infinite. There is no sin that God will not forgive and give mercy for. See, I feel like, and James Knox in his commentary on Titus, he does a thing on election that I'm going to teach in church in Sunday school in a few weeks. And he talks about Calvinists or people who believe in Reformed theology. And listen, it's so important. They worship grace. They're saved by grace, not by Jesus. You see, we are a world focused on grace when we need to be a world focused on mercy. You see, grace is the gift. Grace is what he gives us. Mercy is what he withholds. We don't deserve the grace. We do deserve the judgment. And I need that mercy every day. If I got what I deserved, God would kill me. Even as a believer. Now, praise God, he's not going to do that. Isn't that wonderful? And yet, I still need to cry out for that mercy every day. I've got to keep moving. His prayer is twofold. It's a prayer for mercy. And it's a prayer for God to keep his promises. It is always wise to ask God to do something he has already promised to do. Sometimes you don't know what to pray. Pray what he has told you he would do. And do you know what he's going to do? He's going to do that. Why? Because if we ask anything according to his will, he will do it. And you'll start to get those answers to prayer that you need. Now, I love that. And what more could he want or wish for? God has revealed such an infinity of mercy in his word that it would be impossible to conceive of more. See how the psalmist dwells upon favor and mercy. He never dreams of merit. God, you know how good I am. You know what I've sacrificed for you. You know how gifted I am. God, you know I could do anything in the world. Liar. You want to really hurt your kids, tell them they can do anything they want to. That's a lie. That is a lie. If my dad had told me I could be a rocket scientist, that would have been a lie. How many of you know math is involved? I can't do that. I can't do it. Not going to happen. And we go to God and say, we have this idea. Oh, God. I know you've got some servants. But I'm pretty good. He doesn't go to God and say, God... Be sure and let people know how wonderful I am. 
maybe in the kingdom on those foundations in the new Jerusalem. When you have those 12 apostles, maybe you can put a 13th in there. That's not what Spurgeon is pointing out. And I've got to tell you, Spurgeon would deserve way more merit than Jim Alter. But notice what he says. See how the psalmist dwells upon favor and mercy. He never dreams of merit. He does not demand, but entreats. For he feels his own unworthiness. Note how he remains a suppliant, though he knows that he has all things in his God. God is his portion. Listen, God is his portion. And yet he begs for a look at his face. Man, I don't know about you, but I need to see God's face. I need to know God's mind. I need to experience God's presence. I need to understand what it means that he is my portion. The confidence of faith makes us bold in prayer, but it never teaches us to live without prayer. Now listen, or justifies us in being other than humble beggars at mercy's gate. Oh man, man, I love this. It's so good. Let's go on. So verse 58, I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. Look at verse 59. This is is very interesting. There's a progression that takes place when you realize God is your portion. Look at what happens. Verse 59. I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. So notice the progression. When he says, I thought on my ways. You claim God as your own. You remember what you have vowed. You love his words. You make the twofold prayer for mercy and to remember what you've promised me. And then you examine your own ways. You see, when I examine my own ways, when I look at myself, when I look at my life through the eyes of the flesh, I'm pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm definitely better than you losers. Now listen, I know you all think the same thing. You do. I talked about it in Sunday school. We we say, oh God, I am thankful that I am not like these This lowly publican. Now, we don't say that. We say, oh God, I am thankful that I am not like these lowly Democrats. Come on, you Pharisees. You know you do it. You know you do it. How do I know that? Because I do it. I think these people are as dumb as a bag of hair. And I start to think, man, I must be really smart. And the rest of these people, they are so dumb. And then I look at God, that in Him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then I look at myself and what I know and what I do, and all of a sudden I'm not looking so hot. I'm not looking so great. Basketball is such a fun sport. And what's fun is, in your group, you can be pretty good. You, can, you might be the best guy in the school. You might go to the playground, and you and your buddies can beat all comers. And then you meet real basketball players. At the meeting in New Philadelphia a week before last, how many of you remember Dallas Lauderdale played for the Bucks? Played for Ohio State? Y'all remember him? Well, he was there. He's a, Mark Trotter's been discipling him. He wants to go into ministry. 
And I've got a picture of myself standing next to Dallas. And I come up to about right there on him. Now, how many of you think I would fare really well playing basketball against Dallas Lauderdale? I mean, I'd have to take five steps to get around him. And here's what he would have to do. So if I compare myself to you losers, I'm a good basketball player. Some of these kids are saying, uh-uh. <laughs> You're probably right. Uh, hey, listen, I'm short, but I'm slow. When I look at myself through the eyes of the flesh, I'm pretty good. But when I examine my ways in the light of those words that I said I would keep, and when I begin entreating God for mercy, do you know what happens? I repent. I repent. Look at the text. I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. You see, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Those are my ways. Those are my ways. When I examine my ways through the light of Scripture, I need to change my ways. And my ways, it's different than just a change of thinking. I've got to change a direction. I've got to change a path. I've got to change the way I'm walking. So it's more than just intellectual ascent. It has to begin there. But it actually has to carry on and be carried out through practical ministry. Practical living and practical holiness. Through the eyes of the Lord. So through the eyes of the flesh, I am justified in my sin. Through the eyes of the word, I need the justification of the blood of Christ. Now look at verse 59 again. I thought on my ways and turned my feet into thy testimonies. But notice in verse 60. What are those first three words in verse 60? Everyone, louder. One more time. That means hurry up. Hurry up. Speedy Gonzalez, Andre, Andre, everybody, faster, faster, faster. So here's what happens. When I turn, when I repent, my feet are quickened to righteousness. You see, when I'm walking my own way, the righteousness, it's a slog. It feels like every step is heavy and I'm walking through mud. I had a job when I was in college at U.S. Steel in Gary, Indiana, and they had this continuous conveyor that would carry the steel all through the plant. It went for miles. And so there was this trench underneath it. And my job was to get down in the trench. And it had about three or four feet of axle grease in there. And my job was to get in there in waders and reach around in there and find whatever steel had fallen in there and pull it out. Folks, that's a lousy job. Okay? But you, you couldn't move. If you're walking through heavy-duty grease. You couldn't move. That's what it's like trying to be righteous, to walk righteously in your own way. So here's what happens. I'm slogging. Then all of a sudden I look at my way and I say, this is full of grease. This is dumb. This is full of sin. I'm going to turn to his testimonies. And I turn and it's not there. And all of a sudden I can run. Folks, when you'll examine your ways and you'll turn, then you'll be able to hasten to righteousness. Then your feet will be quickened. It says, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments, the things that he has told us to do. Look at verse 61. 
Sunday school, when I mentioned I was going to be tying something back together, this is it. Look at verse 61. The bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten thy law. The bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten thy law. You know what happens when I'm quickened to righteousness? I no longer blame my disobedience on the evil of others. I no longer blame my disobedience on the evil of others. I, I called Dalton yesterday and we were talking. And Dalt's all worked up mad because he had to leave stores because he didn't want to wear a mask. And, and, and I got to tell you, if you're a lover of liberty, this stealing of your personal sovereignty, it's very offensive. And God's people said, amen. It is. But here's what happens with people like Dalt and me. I can live very angry. Anybody else, you're struggling with anger through all of this? Be honest. How many of you would say you're, you're honest with that? Now, how does anger fit? Now, I'm preaching to myself, okay? I'm preaching in the mirror right now. How does anger fit into holiness? Well, it's righteous anger. No, I'm mad because i got to wear a mask. I'm mad because stupid people are telling me stuff that's stupid. Dumb. I get mad. Do you know what I'm doing? I'm allowing, look at what it says. Look at the text. The bands of the wicked have robbed me. These, these roving bands of politicians are robbing us of our liberty. And we get angry. and we, It's hard to pray. You begin praying in precatory, in precatory prayers. Oh God, I pray that thou wouldest explode them with radiation. Painfully. For all eternity. Notice the text. The bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten thy law. Want to know something? That's what David could say. Do you know what we ought to be able to say? The bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten thy gospel. I have not forgotten thy grace. I've not forgotten thy mercy. I've not forgotten, listen, thy commission, what I have been told to do. You see, when I start to see God for who he is, that he is mine, when I begin entreating him for his presence and I cry out for him for mercy and I love and keep his words and I examine my ways, when I examine my ways and compare them to God's word, I turn and then I find the way of righteousness. I can run to keep his commandments. That's when I realize that I have been blaming my lack of service and my sin on others. When Jesus said, it's, that, it's not that which enters into a man that defiles a man, but that which proceeds out of him. You see, my anger in this situation is not their fault. My anger in this situation is because I'm taking my eyes off of the prize. Look at the next verse. At midnight, I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. It's so funny. When do bands of robbers roam around? At midnight. Don't go outside in Portland after midnight. Don't do it. You know what David said? They're not going to stop me from praising God. They're not going to stop me. And he's not going out there with his AK-47 and fighting them. He's not going out there with his AR-15 and fighting them. 
What's he doing? He's praising God. He's worshiping God. It's interesting. In these times when people are behaving in ways that just make us absolutely crazy, boy, we can start to blame our lack of trust in God and our joy on the evil. At midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy, what's it say? Righteous judgments. Then look at this, verse 63. I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. Companion. See, how many of you know that companion is a little different than friend? You can have friend and companion, my friend and companion. That's one of the things that Laura, before we were married, that she had, she had mentioned to me, that she wanted a companion. And isn't that what marriage is supposed to be? You're, 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 you walk through life together. You, you certainly are friends, but you're more than that. You're companions. See, in the Christian life, Brett at Man Camp talked about this. When did the temptation for Jesus come? When he was alone. And that God never intends for believers to be alone. First of all, he never leaves us comfortless. We have the friend that sticks, he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And yet, we need brothers and sisters in Christ. We need companions. And young people, look at the companions that he said he had. Look at what it says. Verse 63, I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. Are those your friends? The friends that you choose, are they the people who love righteousness, who love God's law, who love God's word, who keep his precepts? What does it mean to keep his precepts? Who are telling other people about Jesus? Are you the kind of friend who's telling other people about Jesus? Are you the kind of friend that these other people, these other young men ought to be? Are you the kind of believer that these other young ladies ought to have as a companion? And I wonder, am I that kind of person for my wife? Is she that kind of companion for me? You see, at some point, all of this religious stuff has to become personal. And I need to run, I need to make haste to do righteousness, to keep his commandments, to share his precepts, to live his faith. Why? Look at what it says. Verse 64. The earth, O Lord, is, what's that next word? Full of thy mercy. Teach me thy statutes. Man, listen, you know my prayer life. God, please supernaturally put a bazooka on the front of my truck so I can kill the people that are in my way. That's my prayer life. I'm driving. Oh, Lord. Thou knowest. I hate them with perfect hatred. You know what I need to realize? This room, this high ceiling, all this air, is full of God's mercy. That every step I take, every move I make, I'll be watching you. (laughs) Every breath I take, every move I make, every step I take, I'm full of mercy. Everywhere I look is full of mercy. Those people that I look at and want to die, they are full of God's mercy. All of this error that I, got, that I want God to remove from this world, He will. But then no one else can be saved. And I need to realize 
It's like the, the two shoe salesmen, and I know you know this story. They're sent to Africa to sell shoes, and the one guy telegraphs back, why did you send me here? No one wears shoes. The other guy telegraphs back, this is awesome. Everyone here needs shoes. And we look out into the world and we say, God, these people, they're just, they're a mess. And God says, really? Why do you think I saved you? See, we're so full of grace that we neglect our need of mercy. The world's full of God's mercy. Let's go and tell them about God's grace. Amen? The Lord, my portion. Is he your portion today? If he's your portion, stand up. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. Lord, you know I was preaching to myself today. Please help me to love you. Help me not to be an angry man. Help me to be full of your word. Help me to to just cry out for your mercy every day.